Like it is, is what's more important practice makes perfect or perfect practice makes progress. Right. Mm. And for me, I add that to being imperfectly, perfectly imperfect practice makes progress. Hello. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of introducing Jenny C. Cohen. She is the founder of Dance to Heal, and she is a plethora of knowledge about, you know, healing energy. I've seen a couple of her um, podcasts and episodes, and I can't wait for you to hear all the tidbits that she's going to share with us today. So I'm going to start off by asking if you can tell um, everyone a little bit about how you got started on this healing journey. Thank you, Dawn and Lynn, for having me. I'm so honored to be here and to meet your community. That's most important to me. Coming from a place of gratitude was a lesson that I had to learn, not necessarily one that came easily to me. So if I have permission to tell us a quick story, <laughs> back yeah. in 2014, I had been homeschooling my kids and they were teenage years and I was ready to launch my belly dance career. I was winning competitions and I got to travel to Germany and compete and play second out of nine people. That's a big deal. Even though I gave them the wrong introduction. So they introduced all this music and then I performed to something else. So I still play second runner up. Not bad. I came home from Germany and I found a lump. 18 months later, after chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, and a year of infusions, I was released into the wide world. You're healed. We'll see you in six months. And that was it. You think that that was the lowest point. It actually wasn't. I've been using dance before and during as a way of staying rooted in my body because when you're going through something as traumatic as cancer treatment or any type of trauma, we tend to disassociate to get through it, correct? correct. And I was in freeze response, fawn response, right? Because you got to sit there and let them pump the poison in your body. When I was done, I still used dance. However, dance had become, this passion had become a poison. I was using it as an escape. So I was traveling a lot still under the guise. I was coming back to my career. And I didn't realize I wasn't present until one of my children. I have twins, fraternal miracles through in vitro. So they were my miracle babies. I had stopped working as an occupational therapist to stay home with my two precious babies. And they were in their teenage years. And I thought they were great until one of them said to me, Mama, I really need to talk to you. And I was like, sure, what up? You know, I'm always down to talk. And here's the thing. So this is a little bit, a little bit of a trigger warning for your audience. Um, I won't go into too much detail just to outline the story. My child says to me, mom, and shows me these scars on their body and says, I don't want to be here anymore. I went to clinical mode. I'm an OT. I know how to take care of everybody from a distance, right? Locked up the knives, set up the therapy. Still was not there. Two weeks later, they had a really severe relapse. And that was my kind of God universe grabbed me by my shoulders and shook me moment. 
you're going to lose your child. Because being an occupational therapist, I had worked in psychology. I had done all those things. I've been in lockdown units. My child was not going to make it if I put them in an institution. I had to really be present to save my baby. And that was the beginning of the whole discover process. So I turned my dance into a way to bridge my subconscious. And some things that I've discovered is one big thing is, did you guys know that trauma is cumulative? Did you know that? Well, yeah. That makes sense. So, right? Mm-hmm. Tra- trauma is cumulative, Lynn and Dawn. It, and I never recognized that trauma. There's no breast cancer history in my family. There's nothing. There is a lot of history of trauma that I never dealt with. <laughs> I'll give you a quick little spurp and then and then I'm done with kind of how I got here. When I was a little do- a little girl and I was born into Taiwan, rural, Taipei, which is the northern part of Taiwan, it's like a bean, so the tip of of Taiwan is Taipei, the capital. My mother was from the rural part, my father was from southern Taiwan, very patriarchal society that they were. I was born into. I was a girl. How dare I be a girl? So my birth was not recognized for a month. Mm. And that brought great shame to my mother and my father. And then when I was four, I shipped off to the country to take care of my two-year-old brother when my father immigrated to the States. So I went from the city to rural country, no electricity, y'all, at four. Hmm. Yeah. Six, I immigrated to the States. Well, I did not speak any English at all, and I was thrown into first grade. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> and so subsequently, over time, I was lucky I found the love of my life. However, he got cancer two years after we were married. We went through in vitro, in vitro, miracle, 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 miracle way of having children. Really, seriously, very traumatizing, <laughs> very invasive. We don't talk about that. It's very invasive. Then one of my children had type 1 diabetes, and they almost died. See, so it was all just cumulative and cumulative. And so I kept repressing and repressing until my whole nervous system just said, I can't do this anymore. <sighs> and so the discover process, this eight-step process, is what I use to some, to come back to myself and release my traumas. And be able to be present and be here with you all. And I absolutely know now when one of my kids is in distress. Wow, that sounds really powerful. Yeah, I was going to touch on that trauma. Um, I hadn't looked at it. um, I've looked at it as a cumulative thing, but uh, actually Cammie helped me look at it as a generational uh, past life thing. It goes way, way beyond my lifetime and uh-huh. it is carried forward and think little idiosyncrasies that we don't even recognize that affect us. And, you know, awareness is the first step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it can't end there. You know, awareness in my right. opinion, isn't enough because, you know, I still have some things that I'm very aware of um, where they come from, but I can't stop the reaction. Like when I'm put in a situation that's uncomfortable, like I haven't figured out how to like switch off that thing, like to realize that 
I am still safe. You know, I am not a little kid. I'm, you know, half a century at this point. And, you know, why, you know? So Jenny, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm assuming that you're talking about like, you know, the discover process somehow affects the nervous system and kind of helps to heal it on that lower level. Absolutely. So when we talk about when someone first comes to me, because I identify myself as the outside and recovery master, we focus first on movement. Because a lot of times, especially now after the lockdown, we for, we forget how vital it is that movement is growth, right? Because when you stand still, when you don't move a part in your body, your body automatically thinks you don't need it, like your flexibility or your strength. And it will, for efficiency, allow that to kind of die away, right? So if we th- apply that idea to the whole body, when we move, we break out of the trauma response of fight, flight, res- uh, flight, fight, flight, free, or fawn, those four, right? And when we say flight, it's usually like running away, not necessarily to explore movement and be in our body, just to clarify. Once I get our my clients or people I'm working with past that movement where we're tuned in through breath work and understanding that you're here and you're safe, then we are really understanding and exploring how the subconscious or the unconscious in you and each one of us literally controls everything we do. So let me explain, right? <laughs> Um, I, I love this quote by Carl Jung. You ready? Until you make your unconscious conscious, life will happen to you and you will call it fate. I love this one. I constantly say it to myself because what happens, similar to what you just said, Lynn, why, why do I react this way? And I prepare myself and, and I'm aware of it and it still happens. Correct? Mm-hmm. So the, the exploration that we would do through evolved neurolinguistic programming is start to find and acknowledge those scripts that kept you safe until to, to today. Until today. <laughs> so, for example, before when we're born in this lifetime as babies, we are subjected to the whims of the adults we are born into their lives of. They have no clue what we want. Really, they don't. And we are inadvertently put into moments where we feel powerless. And even has little baby babies, we can still come up with a script. The subconscious is connected to the wide world. So it can pull this experience and go, oh, I'm going to come up with something that makes me feel in control. And we don't know that that's been ingrained because consciously the 10% right now that's sitting here with Jenny and Lynn and Dawn and your audience, right? Our 10% goes, oh, well, of course this happened because this happened. The part of us that's stuck in that moment still believes in whatever script you came up with to have some sense of control. Fast forward to now, Lynn, when something happens and it triggers that part of you, it will continue to react in that way because it thinks the known is better than the unknown, Then I don't know what's going to happen if you act differently, so I'm going to automatically keep protect you, even though it doesn't feel good. We're going to go the known pathway because hmm. when you have control of that, mm-hmm. right? If you think about when you, because you both are amazing artists. I see your art behind you. I've seen you in our, our Endeavor works together. 
So I know you're very gifted as artists, and I know you play in art, and you know about. And I and I hope I'm not making assumptions. You're very comfortable with the unknown when you paint, right?、Mm-hmm. And I go and I would go so far as to correlate painting where you are now is developed, but you're conscious now. And I'm sure behind the scenes there may be moments where you have old scripts that come into play when you're alone by yourself and you have to battle through that. So then, if you were now were to work together, then we would start looking at the root causes of five basic emotions: guilt, anger, sadness,、um, fear, and、uh, wait, guilt, sadness. Well, five of those. I'll find those later and give them to you. <laughs> Those root causes, we would release those, Lynn, and we would talk about Don. Are those generationals or lifetimes, or in this lifetime for this session we're working on? Those are called QTRs. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I did that.、Uh, I did work through that those stages, and I was going gangbusters, doing really good, and then I got to guilt, and I got hung up. Yes, and、uh, you know, I really had to take a look at that because I don't believe now. I used to. I don't believe now that I am responsible for the good or the bad that happened to my children. I don't. I don't believe. I do believe I have a responsibility to help them the best to my ability. Um. But I can't take ownership of that because it brought it was bringing on so much guilt. Like, you know, why did they have to die?、Um, you know, and what could I have done differently? And what if? And those are common things that I hear、uh, mothers talk about in my grief groups. And I've moved beyond that.、Um, I think it's very normal to do that at first, but. The growth comes when you say, "I did the absolute very best I could," and you know this. Sometimes I don't even look at it as good or bad; it just is. It, it just, just is. It just、mm-hmm. is, Don. It. I mean, my son got di- diagnosed with type one of, at ten, and I was devastated. Devastated. How could this miracle that God and the universe gave me be saddled with this disease where they could die in their sleep?、Yeah. One in a hundred children never make it to adulthood. I was like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, the whys, the what ifs. Yeah, I totally get that. And here's the thing: when I got My breast cancer. I had an epiphany during one of my chemo sessions because you really, really, you go on a banger when you're on chemo. And there was this. I always felt once Danny got type one, I felt like I was alone, like carrying everybody every night, making sure he's breathing. Yeah. And during chemo, I I realized actually those were the times I was being carried, and I just never realized it. You know, like I cannot possibly understand. Not that there's a reason, because I don't like that reason. And I won't. There's no reason why he got it, but I won't. I can't understand. This has nothing to do with what what he elected he was going to go through in his trials in his life before he was born. You know, and to get woo woo, right? We all 
I've made peace with the we I made I made my choices before I was born into into this lifetime what trials I was gonna go through. I made my choices and has to be my children. And they chose me as their mother and I was very blessed that I got to guide and keep them safe while they're going through their trials. And that was a gift. And and that's yeah, we could go down the rabbit hole with that one. Oh my gosh. That's a whole nother coffee talk. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm thinking so many things and I don't know which thing I want to actually ask you about. So um, can we go back to, um, if you will, kind of like the trauma trigger and, um, you know, kind of the unconscious uh, thought process a little bit. So, for example, I've identified that one thing that is very uncomfortable for me is conflict. And so like conflict in the workplace, for example, I just really, you know, I'm afraid of it, to be honest. Like, I just want to avoid conflict. It's not that I go into people pleasing a lot, but, you know, I just don't want to, um, I don't want to put myself in a position where I really have to deal with a lot of conflict. If I do have to, I can, um, but it's just really brings up kind of that safety and security uh, feeling for me. And I know that it goes back to, you know, early childhood stuff where my parents were going through a really rough time. And so there was a lot of fighting and whatnot. But how do I, how do I get past that? Does that make sense? Is that an easy question? Or is like way too complicated for a podcast? <laughs> it, it It's important when we talk about things like this, because it, it influences everything in your life, Lynn. To go into more detail, you really would need to book a call with me. Like, Because we might go into private things you wouldn't necessarily want aired on a podcast. Does that make sense? Because uh-huh. if we were to sit down and really uh, deal with it, that's a discovery call of three hours. Because we want to <laughs> find out, boo. Because it's something that you're like, I really, I really, we have to understand if you have a secondary gain, which is this... Am I getting more out of keeping it than not having it? We have to look up at your life patterns that led you to where you are now. We'd have to also do a full QTR of those releases of those things. We have to reestablish a new strategy session for you when that happens. A lot of things tied in. You have a limiting belief is what I'm hearing, but I don't know until we do the discovery session. And the bottom line is I want to leave everybody for this part, this question is just super important. And I'm feeling very honored, Lynn, that you brought it up, right? In this podcast, which is remember one thing. Your subconscious remembers every single little thing that 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 you experience from womb on to now. Consciously, we don't remember a lot of it. Subconsciously, you do. And it's categorized everything into subcategories so that whenever one thing happens, it already knows exactly where to throw that and how to react and what to do. That's just the way our whole entity works these days. It is what it is. What we do with NLP or the involved NLP portion of it is we're trying to work on that section when the stimuli first comes in. And also we're looking at the subconscious understanding of those subcategories and helping you figure out a way to recategorize it. Because there are, we call it parts integration. I don't know if you know anime where they had the jewel shards and different pieces everywhere in the world. And their, their whole... Their whole journey is to gather the soul shards back together. I mean, that's what I think of it as. Whenever you were in a moment, especially in your childhood, 
zero to seven and something traumatic happened, a piece of us broke off and got left in that trauma. Mm-hmm. And part of recovery now is to gather those parts back together so you're whole again. You know there's a part missing, Lynn, and you're like, damn, if I know how to find it. Sorry to swear. You know what I mean? And you're like, I know it's missing. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, right, you're like, come back to me. <laughs> and you're like, oh, come back, come back. And it's kind of like moving a little bit, not to, you know, the pathways to find a way for you to gather back into yourself again. And I guarantee you that kind of work you will find it's not just work situations, any type of situations. The idea of conflict will not phase you because it's setting a healthy boundary for you. Mm. That's what we want to get to the other side of. Yeah, that sounds so good. I know this is kind of like one of those things that people say, like, you have to do the work. And I'm thinking, I've done so much work, but I can't solve this or, you know, other maybe some other things too, but we're <laughs> not going to go down that road. But you know, it's, you know, I've done the journaling, I've done some, you know, hypnotherapy kind of stuff, you know, I've, I've done so many things. I mean, the art definitely helps a lot. So whatever tools you've got up your sleeve, they must be something really deep, because, you know, even just a three hour discovery call, like that, to me, suggests that there's a lot of work (laughs) that I uh, still don't know about. And here's the thing, right? So I love the story. Dawn's heard this before. It's one of my favorite stories to talk about. My parents came from rural Taiwan, okay? They are farmers to the core. Unfortunately, I can't grow nothing. I kill plants. I don't know why. I like to rationalize. I grew my children very well, but not plants. I love the story about cabbages, though. So... If you've ever planted cabbages and you plant them a certain distance apart, they grow very closed, very tight. Mm. However, if you plant them a little closer, like there's a specific number. I think it's like 18 inches to two feet apart. They will grow open, beautiful, big, similar to us. For me, it's not Shrek and the onion peeling. It's Jenny and turning into a open cabbage because I had so many layers of protection before. And I was that cabbage growing in isolation. We can't heal in isolation, Lynn. You have to surround yourself with a team of people that can pull things apart for you. Because mm. if it's just me talking to myself, I'm just bouncing off my head. Someone else outside of me is going to be like, however, have you noticed this pattern, Jenny? My goal would be like, Lynn, have you noticed this pattern? Do you know that you do this because it's more comfortable than actually making the change? You know, my mentors often work together to do releases constantly because they're like, well, I'm going to be mad about this. And then their friend, fellow therapist would be like, are you doing this? And be like, yes. You know, (laughs) so it's very hard to heal in isolation because we're usually in isolation from our trauma. Mm. Yeah, I have a what we call a sponsor that helps keep me on track, you know, and I'll call her up and I'll want to complain about something or, or someone. And she always flips it around and says, okay, let's, I don't want to talk about that. Let's, let's look at you in this equation. And I'm like, no, I don't want to look at me. <laughs> Can't the other people just be wrong this time? Yeah, right, right. No, no, it's always me, always me. But um, it has helped me tremendously. And, you know, one of the things I was going to reiterate on is um, when you talked about that uh, 
dissociation. I think that's what, maybe that's not what you said, but that's what I'm thinking. You know, um, after I suffered and I've had a lot of trauma, obviously, um, there's a period where, uh, after it happens, I was like, I'm fine. I, I think I'm going to be okay with this. And, and then maybe it, it hit me like six months later. Boom. Wow. I'm not okay. And that's where the real work started because I think that's almost a protective mechanism that your body goes into like compartmentalizing things and dissociating so that you don't have to feel that deep wound. Um, but you know, there's, I've said it a million times. There's no way around it only through. And once you get through to the other side, everything is more beautiful. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one classic example is when I'm not present and I have to go in for a checkup and I don't acknowledge it's triggering for me to see everybody else in treatment. Right. And I'm not doing my exercises of doing breath work and tuning into my, my soft focused eye vision that pulls my peripheral nervous system into play instead of my central. And so I take myself out of fight flight, just a simple act of someone taking my blood that poke brings me right back to every one of my chemo sessions. And I go into fight or flight or fawn where I'm super nice to everybody when I really don't need to be. <laughs> Cause I'm sorry. It takes a lot of energy to be nice to everybody, make conversation with everyone, make sure everyone else is safe. And that's a safety mechanism that I have mm. when I'm in stress. Right. And so this, you know, you don't have to make conversation with everybody, Jenny, like you go in and get your thing and get out. It's fine. And I've noticed that in myself. And so it's been a shift in being able to do that. You know, um, it becomes a lifelong skill. You just take out of your toolbox when you need Life is still happening no matter what. We go through it and there's another pile of poo waiting for us to go through. That's what it feels like for me all the time, you guys. Just, you know, life is this wonderful um, gradient from black through grays to, to white. And it's just always that way. I got really angry once when, when we bought our first house and this painter man was painting our house and his wife was actually passing. She was going through cancer treatment and it wasn't making it. And he, he decides to tell us newlyweds. Okay. No children yet. No babies, nothing. You know, life is just an up and down. You're either going up or you're either going down. <laughs> and I was like, screw you. Mine's going to be a Ferris wheel. I'll just be doing this, which is not true either. You know, it's a, Whatever analogy we come up with, I I think it's just to feel like you have ways to deal with it. So you can still engage in your soul's purpose. Why are you here? You know? I know I looked at my trial so I could be better prepared for my soul's purpose. Sometimes you get lost in those trials and it takes a while to come back. Absolutely. That's all it is, you know? Absolutely. I used this analogy once and I, I equate it to, you know, severe loss, but it can be with anyone. Sometimes when people experience trauma and let's say we all get a leg cut off, right? We lost our leg. 
It's traumatic. But a new leg doesn't grow back, okay? You, some people have to use crutches, and sometimes they have to use them the rest of their life. Other people will get a prosthesis and, you know, they'll learn how to walk on that prosthesis and they'll carry on, you know, but they can't do some of the things that they used to do. And then there's the people that I want to be like. They get a prosthesis and they learn how to run a marathon with the prosthesis because I'm not going to grow the leg back, but what am I going to do with it? You know? That, I feel, is my purpose. And if I may add, it's okay, too, if you don't run that marathon. It is. Yes. It's okay. There's nothing that says you need to do that, right? Because what if that that need of the prosthesis reminded you and redirected you back into what your soul's journey was supposed to be? And it wasn't necessarily something ambulatory, right? Because we just don't understand sometimes and we're not, we're not meant to. And I for me, it, right, Dawn? Because for me, it was that running, running, running. Mm-hmm. And I was still running. Even after my call of my child being in danger, I was still running a little bit. And then this lockdown made me stop cold, Mm-hmm. And really reset myself, and I realized, whoa, I don't want to be a dancer. I mean, I, I love performing, and I'm excellent at storytelling. I love all that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I really want something that was there before I got cancer that could have told me you couldn't do it. You're fine. Mm-hmm. I would like that instead of the doctors going, see ya in six months. You're fine. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? Like, stop, right? Um there are a lot of communities of breast cancer survivors, but we're also kind of struggling. No one's got answers for us. We all feel out of control. We're worried about it coming back, right? So for me, it's always been, I think, helping people get through trauma. It started with the breast cancer and ended up here. And I don't know where it's going to go after this. I know my soul purpose is bigger than that. However, I've got to through this pro- go through this process. Like you were saying, Dawn, like, you know, learning how to use a prosthesis. This is part of all of that. I, I do believe, I love your analogy. We all eventually are going to run that marathon. It's how much training you got to do before you get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned the uh, visualization exercise, and I know you did that um, in the last uh, podcast that I watched with you, and I did it with you. Would you mind um, sharing that with us? I would love to share that with you. So this awesome. might be something that will help you, Lynn, when you're in a moment where where uh, I do this to prepare myself for the day or when I'm going to go into a setting where I'm, I, I know I may go into disassociation to avoid feelings of danger, okay? So for me, I always start with breath work, which is inhaling one, two, three, four, and then exhaling four, three, two, one, keep doing that breath work where you're filling your core and it's a circumferential all the way around through the back. Your back is filling with air all the way up through the chest and then exhaling either through your nose or your mouth from the top down and it's a circumferential closing, including your back ribs. As you're doing that, you're going to start tuning into the sense of smell. You saw me sipping tea. I love the bergamot oil and Earl Grey. I love the taste of it. 
it on my tongue. You can smell roses or chocolate, whatever is the quickest way for you to access enjoyment, right? Then you hear my voice. Also, wherever your space is, you have other outside sounds. Tune into those sounds as you tune into your smell and your taste with your breath work being married to it. Feel your butt cheeks on your seat, your feet on the floor, your clothing on your back. Excellent. Now, you're going to open your eyes, and instead of gazing at us, bring your gaze about six inches above and soften the gaze so it's in very, very light focus. And you can expand your visual field. Even though your eyes are forward, you're going to start seeing everything to the sides of your of your field in front of you. Then start expanding what you see, even if you have to go into your mind's eye. So you start seeing everything slightly behind you all the way around until in your mind's eye, you see all the way around you. It's going to meet behind you and you see yourself sitting there. Keep doing your breath work. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Tune into all five senses. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Stay there for a second and now sway to your right. Sway to your left. Sway to your right. Tune into your smell, your taste, your vision, my voice, your body, where you are right now. Stop the swaying. One more breath in, one more breath out. And go ahead and come back to me. All right. If you do this enough, that state of being really present in your body, you want to be able to get into it like this. So if someone goes and says something that they know is going to piss you off on, you want to try and drop into this moment. And then a part of you, the hopes would be, would be, able to pull back and be like, you're being a poo-poo head. I'm not going to give you my energy. That's the goal. Um, in, in the art of negotiation, though, if you're in a, in a conflicting conversation, you can't be like, bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's another tip. It's different because we don't know the details of exactly what you were referring to. If you do this, though, before you engage, it may allow you to have a bigger perspective of it. In negotiations, they talk about this, you guys. Um, The more you can find lateral, uh, lateral um, agreement and pull back, you we chunk up, the easier it is to find agreement with the person you're conversing and then for you to come to a a more win-win situation. If you do meta where we're like, chunking down and like you did this it becomes much more my camp your camp there's no in-between camp Mm -hmm. and the goal is to pull up and back out of it so it doesn't become personal anymore to you as quickly as you pull it out and it becomes a non-personal thing to you the other person will also the goal is that they'll come match you with your energy and then you can look at it from a bigger perspective Mm -hmm. without knowing your details of what you were referring to does that help don Yes. Love it. Yeah. I love that exercise too. You know, it is really a form of meditation. It's just, it puts you in that meditative state. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's a good, easy thing to do. 
Yeah, even just the soft gaze forward, I kind of felt almost like a parasympathetic. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but it's a softening that I feel in my body when the parasympathetic system seems to light up. Bingo. You got it. That's exactly what it's doing. Um, when you're in hunter stance, you're trying to avoid danger. You're looking for the danger, right? Mm -hmm. When you expand your vision, your nervous system immediately goes into non-alert status. Even though you would think, wait, aren't we watching for the sides? No, actually, if, we're, if a predator is going after us, we're looking for that predator to get the heck away from them. Versus when you're relaxed and you go into soft gaze. If you're at the beach, we're not looking at the waves. We're experiencing all of the beach experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. That's so beautiful. So, Can so you good. expand a little bit on your dance now? Because um, that is your business. And yeah. When we started to sway side to side, oftentimes when I'm speaking on stage, I've incorporated this love of having a soundtrack playing at all times because in the neuroscience of dance, they have discovered it's one of the few, if not only, activity that unites all the different parts of your brain. It is absolutely vital. When we are not constantly reuniting it, our brain will separate. They talk about compartmentalization, right? Which is healthy in some directions. Mm -hmm. In long term, if you think, in long term, it does not benefit our brain because our brain is designed, designed to work together as a whole, right? And what I love about you, the use of dance is, it's the acknowledgement that the body is a sentient being. So if you look in any type of studies about your gut and your heart, there's actually neurons that are there that are found in your brain. You have little mini brains all throughout your body communicating with the big brain. Your body is designed to help you and me get what we want. What stops us is the mind, not the body. Mm -hmm. Athletes hurt themselves training because the mind says, I want to be an athlete, right? It's not the body going, I need you to be an Olympian. It's the brain going, I want that goal. And the body goes, yeah, sure. Let's do it. We're not going to worry. You know, 70 years down the line, I can't walk because we've blown our knees and we need knee replacements. But you want that gold medal? I will run myself to the ground until you get there. Mm -hmm. In dance, the goal is to make that relationship more reciprocal in my dance classes. So the exercise we just did with the tuning in the five senses and the hook-a-lout visual field that we do, the learning state, we call it, we employ that during dance. So you can always employ that for yourself. The caviar, of course, is Lynn and Dawn and Lynn and Dawn's audience. Music can be anything you perceive it to be. For example, if you think birdsong is the jam for you, then birdsong it is. <laughs> if you love running water, it just makes you wiggle. Please use that as your soundtrack. It needs to be whatever your brain perceives, correct? Some people, they're, they're, they're like, what do you mean you love hip-hop? It's just one beat. I'm like, no, no, no. I can hear all the polyrhythms inside of it. So for me, any type of hip-hop or slash Egyptian-based belly dance music is my jam. 
And for me, that unites all parts of my brain because when I dance to it, I'm completely present. I can't be anywhere but present. All right. So that's for me. That's why I incorporate a lot of dance. It doesn't have to be any type of dance though, right? I do teach people in my dance programs a belly dance-based cardio class that you always get access to. I'm certified in work, which is W-E-R-Q, and that is a form of cardio dance that's more hip-hop or modern music-based, right? And then there's another dance format called Datura Dance, uh, Datura Style, which Rachel Bryce is very famous in the fusion belly dance world. And if you look her up, She's her videos are viral, and I'm I'm certified as a teacher in her format, so I teach all three of those to get the root of that bridge, and reconnect you so that your body is telling you and you're listening. That's the big key. When your body tells you you're listening, and then you ask your body and you get that feedback, can I do it? What do, what do you need, body, so we can achieve this goal together? So I know that I. Typically, I love all music. I do. Hmm. But I typically will migrate to one genre. Which is? Funky soul classics. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love the funky soul classics. Give me an example of a song because I don't know the genre. Um, um, boy, I, you know, I'm drawing a blank, but... Um, Think of um, Motown. Okay. Motown. 1960s. The 70s. I like the 70s style too, a lot. Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, <laughs> I love that stuff. It just, I can sway to it right now. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, I'll put something else on and listen to it for a little bit. And then I'm like, oh, man, I got to get to back, back to my funky soul classics. <laughs> One time I was at a at a meeting with the the principal <laughs> for one of my kids. And I had my ringtone set to um, She's a Brick House. You know that song? <laughs> okay, yeah. And it went off during the meeting. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Can you hear me? Right. Can you hear music? This song? <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> I knew Jenny was going to get us dancing. <laughs> come back and DJ, I'll come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's my jam awesome <laughs> can't believe you got us dancing i actually was thinking about this um you know what we could do special you know especially because we're you know we're on video so 
and um, and somehow you managed to hit it, you know, Dom, with your question about, you know, her taking us through the process and then Jenny just like bringing up one of the songs on her computer. Oh, my goodness. This is so cool. Mm -hmm. So, so, so cool. I don't know what questions I have. I mean, I'm definitely going to be contacting you after the session about, you know, doing that discovery call thing. Um, do you want to tell us about your book chapter? I mean, you kind of did, but um, you're one of the authors of the Creative Life book. And so um, would you like to, yeah, would you like <laughs> all three of us? Um, can you elaborate a little bit on? Wait, wait, let's, do it. let's do a screenshot first, quick. Okay. So we can send this to our amazing person. <laughs> okay. Uh, so my chapter, which is chapter 26, and I love it because I'm episode 26 with you all. Oh, I didn't what? even catch that. Um. <laughs> wow. And my birthday in July on the 26th, well, I'll be 55, like 26. Y'all got to play that number. Um, nice. Wasn't that just in the song? Part oh, of the yeah. measurements? One of the oh, measurements. 26 and 36. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're right. My goodness. Uh, so the my chapter talks about some of the steps in the discover process. We've touched upon it already a little bit on releasing anger. Um, I do want to also talk about play because it relates to this creative life book. Every single chapter is about play for me. It's about ways to be in the present and learn that life isn't about perfectionism. It's about that journey of allowing imperfectly perfect endeavors, right? Mm -hmm. Because every endeavor is perfect. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I have teachers who are saying, well, you know, perfect practice, like it is, is what's more important. Practice makes perfect or perfect practice makes progress right mm. and for me i add that to being imperfectly perfectly imperfect practice makes progress for me love that mm -hmm. so for me just play the breath work is super important that's why i talk about it in my chapter you know and if you want to see how you can integrate what i talk about like Lynn, you'll call me and I know Dawn will because we chat a lot outside of here on other things that I, I boost other people on, on my Facebook posts a lot because I, I believe in this attitude that there's enough to go around for everyone. I hate the scarcity mentality. It really limits your own growth, right? Uh -huh. Right. So for me, um, if you want to talk to me, you can go to outsideinrecovery.com. There's a booking link on there right now. And then for a limited time, I'm about to take the link off. If you want a copy to the book right there that talks in depth about the eight steps outside in recovery, you can get a PDF file of it for another week or so. And then I'm taking that link off. That's what I've been advised by my publisher. Um, yeah. So book that call with me there uh -huh. and we can discuss how you can implement this in your life. And then in the chapter, I talk about, about how to do some of those steps, because I think it's very important to allow yourself and acknowledge that, especially now after the pandemic times, life is not the same. Uh -huh. Life is not the same. I'm sorry. It's not. 
No, I'm <laughs> We've different. Gone, it's completely different in many, many ways, many, many ways. And mm-hmm. one of the things I talk about in my book, because it's a love letter to me when I was done after my breast cancer, you know, this book is very geared towards the woman who first finishes the treatment and we're kind of lost and everyone thinks we have it together and we don't. We don't. We feel alone when we're in the middle of a crowd of friends and family. We still don't really feel or see ourselves, which is similar to the pandemic times that we're in right now. And what are some ways that you can find to bring yourself into the present now where it is safe, you know, and real talk, because I I know I can do this with you, Lynn and Dawn and by extension, your family and an audience here. The rise in Asian hate is on the rise, y'all. Mm. So I don't feel safe when I go out the door. I have, you know, my pepper sprays and I know where the police station is and I never park in certain places. And when I travel, we have Life360 apps. So my family knows when I get off the plane and where I'm, because tr- we just lay down these safety mechanisms in place. And I'm always worried about someone attacking my parents. And yet at the same time, I know I'm safe. I know my children are safe. I know my parents will be okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's really I think there's a rise in a lot of, um, well, discriminatory feelings. Yeah. In many ways, in many things. I mean, my children are in the, a part of the LGBTQ plus community. You know, yes. that's a whole nother conversation we'd be having. You know, I'm like, yeah. mama bear, we're trying to keep my children safe with that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, we have a responsibility to shed light on it just like you did today. And uh, I thank you for that mm-hmm. because we can't hide it under the rug. It's real. It's present. And, um, you know, we are responsible to shift that. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more that, people talk about it and voice it. I think that's, you know, a big part of the solution. And Jenny, I would just like to tell you that I had a chance to visit Taipei. Um, It was in 2019. And I have to say that I felt incredibly safe there. And I had a conversation with a person at the hotel um, because he was, he was impressed that I went for a run when it was super hot and humid. Um, I think it was July that I was there. Anyway, um, he was telling me about, he likes to go on really long walks and he was saying that he would love to go to Italy and do like a pilgrimage, but he was nervous about maybe being pickpocketed or some other thing. And I left that conversation thinking that, okay, somehow Taipei is a really safe city and I felt like maybe there's no crime there because this person was, you know, really nervous about, you know, potential crime in other places if he were to, you know, for example, go to Italy. And I don't know if my experience was just, you know, like the part of town that I was or if I'm taking things, you know, like I'm misconstruing things, but I just felt like it was just a, you know, a really great safe place, you know, to visit and and to be a tourist at. You're so lucky. I haven't been back to Taiwan in 30, 40 years. Mm. So you definitely have a firsthand experience. That's not what I grew up in. You know, I went from being predominantly 
the majority to being in the minority all my life here in the States when I, Mm. when I came here when I was six. Mm -hmm. So all I've ever known is, you know, occasionally if I go to Chinatown, I might be in the majority, but I'm also not because they consider me American born, even though I was born in Taiwan because I'm American raised. Mm. So I don't belong in that community either. Right. And um, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole nother big, huge topic about that, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm very privileged in that I'm very white adjacent because I'm married to someone who is white presenting. So I have safety in that respect, for sure, for sure, right? Um, and also, you know, depending on what parts of the country you are, my being Asian, I, I have the expectation I'm always going to be um, a hard worker, always nice. I never lose my temper, you know? I'm a pushover. I'm okay with never hitting the highest leadership role. All of these things I have to work with. And we mm. and I and I endeavor to raise my kids not to live with those type of things because they're they're Eurasian, right? They're half white, half Asian presenting. I mean, even my daughter has noticed when she goes to the University of Utah, if she's by herself, people think she's Hispanic because mm. she has that blend. They quite don't know where to put her. If I'm with her, there's more outright racism because they, they then can identify, oh, she's with someone Asian. Are they both Asian versus if she's by herself? People speak to her differently on campus. They don't assume she doesn't speak English. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about now, 2023. Mm-hmm. We're not talking mm-hmm. about when I immigrated to the States, 1974. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, it's a very interesting point that um, right. I do think that um, there's been a lot of division and I think there's been a lot of political, you know, separation of people. And yeah, thank you for sharing your experience with us. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you for allowing me to, you know, and, and just to return back to the thing, you know, art unites everyone, right? And, and we all have to do more of it. I don't care what your political stance is. Are you drawing? Like, are you painting? Are you making things? Are you finding yourself back to yourself? Right. Because, you know, one thing that we used to say in the dance community here in the States a lot, I don't know. I've disengaged a lot from the belly dance scene because of the high level of appropriation. <laughs> Anyways, that's a whole nother conversation. However, we used to just joke that we're just meat bags flying through space, all of us. Mm-hmm. Inside, under our skin, we're all the same. We're all blood and tissues and fluid. Yeah. And we gotta refocus on that. Really, yeah. seriously, right? Mm-hmm. We're all we're all we're all that little baby that could not get the darn adults around us to figure out what the heck we wanted. Mm-hmm. We're all that. We all went through that. I don't care which culture, what part of the world. We were all babies at one point trying to explain. I don't want my diaper changed for the fifth time. Just hold right. me. Just hold me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What an eye opening um, session we've had today. And uh, I'll leave this uh, comment. Um, one of the things I do a lot of um, recovery events. And uh, we have one coming up, Steps of Change. And uh, one of the taglines that we've used year after year is uh, walk a mile in my shoes. And just from the story that you told, 
I was able to little, take a little walk in your shoes because, you know, I've not had that experience. I haven't. So just hearing it, you know, brought me closer to it. And I don't think that unless people allow themselves to be aware of something, they're not going to see it. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was really, really important that you shared that with us today. I thank you so much. Everything that you said was awesome. And uh, I think we're going to have to have you back because there were a lot of stories, a lot of rabbit holes that we could have gone down that we didn't. So, mm -hmm. plus we got to dance in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I want to feel. You make me feel like dancing. That's another Whoa. one. <laughs> she's, she's a good dancer. She's a good singer. Oh, hold on, I'm all like, I'm like, are we going to take it out with like a song? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Do that. Let's take it out with a song. I yeah, love that. Green uh, personality can do that. <laughs> yes, you can. You can do it, Lynn. We're going off script. We're going off script. All right. Uh, can I play another song and we can do yes. it? Yeah, let's do it. Do it. Can you hear it? Yeah. your facial expressions while you're dancing yeah <laughs> all right well we will link all of your information all of it in the um notes lynn will do that because she <laughs> yeah, i think dawn's gonna do be it. doing that <laughs> okay i may be doing that too. just saying <laughs> we'll figure it out <laughs> okay uh Thanks so much for joining us today, Jenny. You have added a plethora mm -hmm. of goodness to our listeners, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, 100%. So fun, really. And I, I know that people have so much to think about, and they can also visit the book and Chapter 26, the Creative Life book. Yay! Oh, you signed the front cover. That's so smart. Yes. Somebody in our group did this. So I did this too. Because I figured this would be really cool, right? To get your own name on there. It was just a, a thicker black um, magic marker thing. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm going to do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> 
check oh, out okay. Amazon Kindle version and or paperback version now available with 65 different chapters. But chapter 26 is the one we want you to read today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you so you. much. Yeah.